Welcome to The Policy Shop, weekly conversations with public policy experts where we'll dive into the most important issues affecting all of us here in Illinois. I'm Hillary Gowans. Let's get started. Joining me today is Adam Schuster, Senior Director of Budget and Tax Policy at the Illinois Policy Institute. Illinois has the second highest property taxes of any state in the country. Why? Adam will help us understand what's going on and how we can get the problem under control. Adam, thanks for coming back. Happy to be here. Ugh, property tax bills came in not too long ago where I live, and it's always painful. Why? Because we have too many local governments in Illinois that spend too much money. That's the the very short way of putting it. And a lot of that money is spent on pensions. That's not the whole of the problem, but it, but it's a it's a major part of it. Um, and pension reform was perhaps the biggest lever we could pull to reduce property taxes. And it's also uh, the rise in, in pension costs is the thing that accounts for the majority of the rise in our property tax burden over the last 20 years or so. So uh, back in 1996, Illinois' property tax burden was around the national average. And over you know the last 20, 25 years, it has shot up to the second highest in the nation. And the number one thing that accounts for that growth is the growth in pension contributions. Yeah, we um, have been interviewing a ton of people who are affected by the property tax issue. One of those people is a man named Jeff Carlin who lives in Lake County. And I think he articulates really well how a lot of people feel about this problem. He said, we love where we live, not because of the municipal services, but because we grew up here and our families are here. We're on the edge of selling and moving to a different community or a different township or a different county that has less government bodies that are funded by property taxes. And he talks about, you know, maybe that means moving somewhere in an unincorporated part of the state, but he also talks about moving to Wisconsin. And that stinks. That's a bad feeling. This concept of like, well, I love where I live, but I can't afford it anymore. What does that mean for people here? I mean, it's it's attacking the, the ability to build an American dream in Illinois. Homeownership is so centrally tied to what it means to pursue the American dream, you know, what it means to be able to uh, build a life and a family and, you know, put your roots down in a community. And our excessive, unreasonable property taxes make it very, very hard for people to do that. And for some people, impossible to do that because property taxes in Illinois, for most people, are the cost of a second mortgage. So, you know, if you have a, a home valued at about two hundred twenty thousand dollars, you're going to pay about five thousand dollars on average in property taxes, and that'll vary higher or lower depending on where you are in the state. But that's, you know, a, a huge expense for people, and when you're not getting better services for that uh, and you could go to Wisconsin or Florida or Indiana uh, and you know pay significantly less in property taxes on the same value home and get the same exact or better quality you know government services it's an easy choice for a lot of people but it's not a good thing for Illinois the property tax issue has been really interesting for me to figure out and navigate and learn about, not only because I work here at the Illinois Policy Institute, but also because I've been in Illinois for almost 15 years now. And uh, my husband's from the Chicago suburbs. And I remember when we had our son and we were thinking about moving out of the city, 
and I saw how much these property tax bills were, my, my jaw dropped. And I said, how are we going to be able to afford a house? And, you know, not only are we going to be able to afford the house we want, are we going to want to pay this much money in property taxes? And it was funny because the mindset that so many people we knew articulated was, well, yeah, the property taxes are really expensive, but it's basically like a tuition check. You know, the idea is you move to a good suburb and your property taxes are the equivalent of paying however much money it costs to go to an elite private school. And what's been really interesting working here and learning more about over the past few years is just this question of, well, where are our property tax dollars going? And it's, it, you know, that tuition analogy is not necessarily ringing true for me anymore. No. Yeah. So uh, first of all, if, you know, even if that analogy rang true, you would want to see hopefully that if you're paying the second highest in the nation property taxes, you should probably have, you know, the second best schools or something like that. Right. And we're about the middle of the pack in terms of our, our average test scores, actually slightly below average, but we're worse than every one of our neighboring states when it comes to sort of average education outcomes. Uh, but the other problem is, is like you pointed out, that's not really where the money is going. Uh, although, you know, schools are going to be the biggest portion of your property tax bill, typically for the average taxpayer, a little over 60% uh, of your bill, it's a little bit misleading where that money's actually going. Part of the reason for that is that when you're paying municipalities, the vast majority of it is actually going to pension costs. And when you're talking about at the school level, the school itself is not usually paying for very much pension costs, but the state does pay for teachers' pensions. And the rising cost of pensions has eaten into the amount of money that the state is able to spend on K-12 through education. So back in the year 2000, if you were to add up teachers' pension costs and sort of education spending, you'd say about 12% of what we spent on education went to teachers' pensions. Today, it's about 36%. It's actually rapidly approaching 40% of everything we spend on education goes to teachers' pensions, uh, or not just teachers. I should say that's also administrators' pensions, which are usually the biggest pension, but the teachers' retirement system is what it's called. So 36%, approaching 40% of the money we spend on education isn't making it to kids or classrooms or schools. It's directly going towards pension debt. Which is really frustrating. I mean, there are a lot of things that are frustrating about that. Uh, tuition payment analogy, the fact that you have to be able to afford to live in a neighborhood where there are good schools to have access to a good education is really frustrating to me. But then it's also offensive that you have people buying into this analogy. And that's just not the truth. You know, we're not paying for good education. We're paying for debt. Yeah, we're, we're paying for debt. And, you know, on top of that, it's sort of a separate problem from the pensions, but even the money that's not going to pensions, that's, you know, going towards education expenses nominally, not all of that money is making it to kids in the classrooms either, because Illinois also has this this problem of too many school districts. So we spend about double the national average on the cost of district administration per student. We have way, way, way too many school districts relative to the size of our student body population or just the geography of our state. And just to, to put in perspective how, how much of an outlier we are on how much we spend on district administration, this means, you know, superintendents, assistant superintendents, their marketing departments, not even not even talking about guidance counselors or principals or people who interact with kids. The only state that spent more than a billion dollars on district administration in 2018 was Illinois. And California, which is a state that has a student body population about three times the size of Illinois' population, spent about a third less on district administration. And if you add all the numbers up, 
if we were to spend about the national average on district administration per student instead of how much we do spend, we would save about $720 million that could be reinvested in kids or returned to overburdened property taxpayers. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense. Why aren't we doing that? Well, you know, the problem with most of the solutions is uh, resistance from politicians in Springfield. This isn't just limited to education, though. You know, this idea that we're diverting property tax dollars away from services and toward debt that doesn't actually benefit the general population, that that affects things like police and fire, too. So I know when we were looking at Jeff Carlin's story in Lake County, one of the things that we found about property taxes there uh, is that only 19% of municipal property tax dollars raised for fire departments is spent on protecting the community from fires, right? So 19% of what you think you're paying for fire protection goes to protect you from fires. That's right. Yeah. So, and that's, um, that's what we were talking about when we said that, you know, from 96 to today, pensions account for the rising property taxes. And when it comes to police and fire, you can see that very clearly. It's for both police and fire, on average, it's about 80% of the new money that, that we've seen over those last 20 years is going to pensions rather than actual police and fire protection. And in some cities, it's even worse than that. They're actually cutting police and fire protection, meaning laying off current police officers and firefighters in order to be able to keep up with this unsustainable growth in their pension contributions. So we are, you know, firing people today who could protect us today to pay for, you know, debt that was made based on irresponsible promises in the past. And I I think we hear from a lot of municipal leaders, whether they're on the local council or they're the local mayor, and what they say is that they feel helpless, right? Because they can't get their local spending under control because they're not allowed to reform this debt that is preventing them from investing in services. Is it fair that the state pretty much handcuffs these local leaders uh, from making spending decisions that would benefit their residents? No, it's completely unfair because um, for most cities, most municipalities, pensions are going to be their largest annual expense and the vast majority of their debt. But it's also the area where they have the least control over setting policy. They don't get to determine benefits. They don't get to determine employee contributions. They don't get to determine their funding schedule for how much they pay uh, towards pensions. All those things are set by state law. And then we have in the state constitution a clause that says pension benefits can never be diminished or impaired that prevents them from changing anything. So mayors are, are saddled with this this huge financial burden by the state and basically told, figure out a way to pay for it. With, with the exception of a few major cities that have more taxing authority, property taxes are one of the few levers they have to pull. And so when their budgets are getting out of control and unbalanced because pension costs are going up, um, they kind of have two options. They can hike property taxes, you know, risking driving more people out of their community and making it harder for people to grow, you know, their lives there. Or they can slash services again for that same community, things that actually will be- will benefit that community. So until we figure out a way, you know, to give them the flexibility they need to manage their finances through pension reform, um, it's a very serious problem. 
Right, and just to underscore what you're talking about, an, an actual example of what this looks like when you have to cut services or hike taxes, which is this choice that people get presented by their politicians, here's what happened to Jeff Carlin. He purchased a 1,000-square-foot house in Lake County in 2016, 1,000 square feet. So we're not talking about a palace. I'm sure it's a lovely home. But he said he his property taxes in 2016 when he bought the house were $2,500. Today, they're $7,000. I mean, that's shocking. It's, yeah, and it, you know, it makes it unaffordable. And, you know, the saddest thing you see is people who are unable to keep up with their mortgage and are either forced out of their home or have to sell their home because of property taxes. And this is happening to people around the state of Illinois. You know, they're being forced to become renters again or being forced to move to another community where they, you know, wasn't their first choice or being forced to leave the state altogether because of this, you know, permanent second mortgage that's just going to debt. I think one other area of concern is the fact that property taxes ice people out of being able to even think about buying a home in the first place. Uh, and if you if you can't see that path for yourself, like how does that affect your willingness to stay and invest in this state? It's a major, major detriment to our housing market. And I think it's a major reason why Illinois home values saw the second lowest growth among states in the decade after the Great Recession. You know, your home is usually the biggest investment you make. And it's a way for people to grow wealth when they see their equity grow. But when they're figuring out how much home they can afford and they have to, you know, figure out how much they have saved for their down payment, how much they can afford in a monthly mortgage payment, and then essentially double that monthly mortgage payment to account for how much they're going to have to pay in property taxes. It means they can afford a lot less house. And absolutely, that's going to encourage people who have the flexibility to do so to look at other states where they have lower property taxes. Uh, My dad um, is actually someone who was born in Illinois, uh, but lived and worked most of his career in Florida. But for personal reasons, and be closer to family. He was recently planning to move back from Florida to Illinois. And thankfully, he just closed on a house and and has done that. But I was helping him look at the the tax burden he'd be facing. And on the same value home, he's paying three times in Illinois what he was paying in Florida. And you have to be kidding yourself if you think you're getting three times as good of local government services. As someone who owns a house and gets frustrated about this twice a year, more than that, but you know what I mean. It's easy to get really upset about the property tax problem and really frustrated when you feel like you're not getting this return on investment that you're talking about. And you hinted at some of these solutions earlier, but when you think about how we get the property tax problem under control, what are some of the best legislative mechanisms we could pull to be able to do that? What would you advise Springfield to tackle? So I said at the outset, you know, the reason our property taxes are so high is we have too many local governments spending too much money. And so the solutions are to help them find ways to spend less money and hopefully, you know, to do that in a way that doesn't impact services. Uh, pension reform is the main thing you could do uh, to lower how much they have to spend, how much each of them has to spend without impacting service quality. And then too many local governments, we need to consolidate them. We need to consolidate both school districts, not schools, but the you know the management bodies that oversee them. We need to consolidate those. And we need to consolidate uh, the various other types of local governments we have. So 
we have, uh, not including school districts, 7,000 units of local government in the state of Illinois. Uh, it's the most in the nation. It's about twice as many as a state like Texas that has a significantly larger population than we do. And there's just no justification for it. It's extremely inefficient. It means you've got you know layers on layers of administration that you have to pay for. Uh, and so the solutions we've come up with uh, are one, pension reform. Uh, to the uh, Classrooms First Act, which is sort of an expert-informed but locally controlled process for district consolidation, where a commission would come up with recommendations on, on where you could consolidate school districts to give the best benefits to students and to save the most money for taxpayers. But then voters would have to vote on those recommendations, so nobody would be forced to have their school district consolidate. And then when it comes to other types of local governments, we need to make it easier for people to run petitions to get government consolidated. So uh, make it easier for people to decide to consolidate governments in their local community. Uh, and we have a bill to do that called the Citizens Empowerment Act, which was actually modeled off of a, a very similar effort that was successful in New York. School district efficiency, this process by which we would make sure that we're getting rid of administration that doesn't serve kids. So like you said, not closing schools, but making sure that we don't have too many education bureaucrats. This almost passed in the last legislative session, right? What happened? Yeah, so the, the first year the bill was introduced, it actually passed out of the House unanimously, 109 to 0, um, before it was sort of bottled up in the Senate by a special interest opposition. And then this year, similarly, it was passed favorably out of committee to the full House floor for a vote. And when it left committee, if only Republican members and the Democrats who were sponsoring it had voted for it, it would have passed. It had such strong bipartisan sponsorship from dozens of Democrats and Republicans that just the sponsors needed to vote for it to pass it. Unfortunately, there was this huge last minute effort from teachers unions who uh, sort of inexplicably opposed the bill, even though it would have meant more resources for teachers, and district administrators who were the real you know, chief opposition, these people who make, you know, hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a year who are, you know, set to get these huge gold plated pensions. Those are the people who who really are the only ones who stand to lose anything, right? If you're if you're one of those needless administrators who's taking resources away from kids, they fought the bill and they, they fought to keep the, the resources in the hand of bureaucrats uh, and out of the hands of students and teachers in classrooms. And it's really unfortunate because this is actually the second time that Illinois politicians have allowed this to happen. A lot of people don't know this, but there was a major push for district consolidation back in the 80s. The Illinois State Board of Education did this large study, said we need this, it's good for kids. The legislature passed a bill. That, that time it, it was fully passed and signed, but then the district administrators rallied and were able to get them to repeal the law before it went into effect. So twice now, we've had a major consolidation effort where politicians have caved to special interests and put, you know, put lobbyists ahead of students. The good news is that these bills, our pension reform bill, our school district efficiency bill, and citizens empowerment, these are coming back, right? Yes, these are all coming back. And, you know, on the school district efficiency bill, the sponsor, Rita Mayfield, was, you know, sort of very upset about the misinformation that was used to, to sort of kill this effort. They realized that, you know, they couldn't really argue against on, on its merits. So they just resorted to lying about it and, and threatening people. And, you know, she is, is fired up to bring it back and, and to get it passed this time. 
Well, I'm hopeful that these bills move. Uh, it's good to hear that we've got a lot of different solutions that would help uh, not only get property taxes under control, but also make sure that we're spending money on the right things. So thanks for walking us through the property tax problem here in Illinois. I'm looking forward to seeing more of your work come out soon. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To keep up with all of our work at the Illinois Policy Institute and to sign up for our newsletter, visit illinoispolicy.org. If you like what you heard today, subscribe and give us a five-star review. We'll see you next week for another episode of The Policy Shop.